How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, Everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome to the Oak Shape Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man Staten. This podcast is dedicated to blue-collar, hard-working public land elk hunters. We preach hard work, delayed gratification, discipline, and staying accountable to yourself. We value faith, family, fitness, fiscal discipline, and of course, public land elk hunting. So come along as we try to educate, motivate, and inspire you to become the best possible version of yourself. Our podcast is brought to you by Wilderness Athlete, performance you deserve. Fuel your body with the best. Use our discount code ELKSHAPE30 and save 30% off your first purchase. We are also brought to you by NUMA Outdoors. Geared for the outdoors, made with bow hunters in mind, built to over-deliver, and most importantly, designed to outperform. Check out NUMAOutdoors.com and be sure to use the discount code ELKSHAPE20 to save 20% off your purchase. Matthews Archery elevating the archery experience take a test drive with the matthews v331 or 27 at a local dealer near you vortex optics i've been partnered with vortex since 2010 this company is awesome they're american owned veteran owned they're based in wisconsin their entire team of designers and engineers produce and distribute a complete line of premium sport optics accessories and apparel most of the apparel that i wear while training scouting and hanging out around the house is vortex wear go ahead and check it out and if you want to save 20 percent, enter the discount code elk shape at checkout and you'll save 20 percent. new from vortex in 2021 is their tripods the one i've been using in the backcountry is their summit carbon tube and their radian carbon and it also has a ball leveling head and it's perfect for rock solid shooting there is a tripod to fit everyone's needs from Vortex now, and it's still covered with their lifetime no-fault transferable VIP warranty. Check it out at VortexOptics.com. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man. What up? Today, we're sitting down with Cameron from Oregon, who's a bow hunter, but his last name's not Haynes. Nah, man. This dude is a blue-collar elk hunter. This dude has been elk hunting for three seasons. He's killed four elk with a bow in three seasons public land over the counter. This dude is a family man. Um, I think he does pest control for a living. Punches a clock. This guy's relatable. He reached out to me and said, hey man, what's up? I want to come on your podcast. I said, yeah, let's make it happen. 
I love sitting down with normal people. Just uh, when I say normal, I just mean people that aren't in the hunting industry, people that have normal jobs, and uh, they don't get paid to hunt. That's this guy. And uh, we're going to pick his brain on not only his hunting success, but also I'm going to pick his brain on his fitness journey. Man, this guy's overcome some big-time addictions. Uh, this guy is still a work in progress. And I'm going to get after him a little bit on this podcast, too, because uh, we're going to do a little coaching And I hope you guys dig this kind of content because this is what I am into. Relatable, authentic, awesome elk hunters, awesome people just like you. So without further ado, this is Cameron from Oregon, and you're listening to the Elk Shape Podcast. Guys, welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan, the fitness man. What's up today? I got one of those. These are my favorite podcasts to do. I got a blue collar dude on the other line. We've never met. We're going to have a conversation. Uh, He's not insta-famous. He's not here to sell you anything. We're here to just get to know his story and hopefully inspire you all to keep working hard towards your goals and to leverage the gift of elk hunting so you can accomplish more than just killing an elk, but everything you want to do in life. Cameron is on the other line. Cameron, what's up, buddy? Not much. Doing good. Just uh, relaxing here. I'm going to do a little bit of deer hunting later today, so it's pretty fun. There you go. So you're in, well, first off, your last name is Yamura. You live in Oregon, but you did live in Spokane, where I'm from, for a while. Is that right? Yep. I was born and raised in Spokane, uh, moved to Oregon in 2015. What high school did you go to? Um, I went to Lewis and Clark for two years, and I actually lived in, uh, like, Seattle area um, for two years of high school also. So. So you've bounced around a little bit. So where in Oregon, what part of Oregon are you in? So I'm in Albany, Oregon. It's about an hour and a half south of Portland. Okay. You get a lot of rain. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. It's not too bad. Not too bad. How far are you from, like, Eugene? Um, what's the closest town besides Portland? Uh, Eugene's, like, 40 minutes south of me. Okay, cool. Uh, we're doing an elk-shaped camp in Eugene this year. Actually, Springfield at the Bow Rack. Um, pretty stoked to go there. Wayne Endicott, the whole squad. I wonder if I might even try to get Mr. Cameron Haynes there, but uh, super stoked because I'm going to drive to that camp, man. I don't have to fly. Yeah, it's not too bad. It was like six and a half hours or so. Yeah, it's not. It's definitely worth driving to me. If anytime I can drive, which is hardly ever, seems like we do those camps pretty far away from home. But uh, yeah, we're driving and I'm stoked and I think we're road tripping with a couple of the guys that are coming to that camp, like Mark Livesey. Uh, from Treeline, he's going ri- to drive over from Montana and then ride with me. Uh, Jeff Bynum lives in Sandpoint. He'll be coming down, ride with me. I told Dirk Durham I'm not picking him up. He lives in Boise. Uh, not gonna. That's just out of the way. And then Joel Turner lives close to um, – he'll, he'll just drive down. Uh, a couple of the guys will have to fly in, like Bill Vanderhaven from Ironwill, Jared Lyle from Hunt and Full. Um, but, like – we have so many subject matter experts now for 2022 camps. It's like, how do we share the spotlight? And so with 50 athletes at a camp, we're going to be doing like station rotations. It's going to be, it's going to be cool. And, and I'm most excited about hanging out with Wayne Endicott. Um, I think he's a legend. Is that where you go for your bow? So I actually, um, I've met Wayne before. He's a really nice guy. Um, if I need to get uh, sometimes like parts for like warranty work and stuff, I might give him a hauler, but, um, there's a local bull shop in Lebanon, Oregon, which is about 20 minutes from me called M2 Archery and guy that runs that, his name is Marco. And he's been super amazing to me. Uh, 
So I go there a lot, but I, I actually, all my tuning is done by my good friend, Chris Dunlap. He runs a small archery shop out of his house that specializes in like custom tuning, not the bow shop tuning where they take 20 minutes and slap stuff on there, but they're like, hey, we want to get this really dialed in. And so I pretty much everything with my bow is I go over to his house, hang out, chat with him and I mean, sometimes we've taken an hour and a half to get my bow dialed in. So Chris Dunlap and then also M2 Archery. All right, shout out to all you guys. Uh, well, your story is pretty cool. So first off, you're a blue-collar dude. Like, you have a blue-collar job, and I'm sure you're not blessed with 30 days of elk hunting in September. Um, I, actually, us- I actually did take four weeks off of work. This- well, let's talk about that. So what do you do for work? So I work for a pest control company called Point Pest Control. Uh, We're kind of a Northwest company. Um, We're in Spokane, uh, North Idaho, and pretty much all of Oregon. And luckily just with the support system I have there and um, I have a lot of good supervisors and managers that work underneath me, it allowed me to save up my PTO and, and take four weeks off this year. So super grateful for that. You are probably not married, I would assume. I actually am. So I have a wonderful wife that also allowed me to do that. And I have a nine-year-old daughter that um, also. So it's, you know, a lot of people have to make sacrifices for me to be able to take that four weeks off. And I do my best to to set it up to be able to do that. And I know you talk quite a bit about that on your podcast. So It's a thing. Uh, so how much PTO do you get? at your current job right now is it four weeks is it six weeks a year what is it i'd have to look i think it's like 23 days or something like that okay so do you do you feel like and i'm putting you on the spotlight bro did you burn all of your pto for your hunting this year uh no i had a few days like we went camping for a week um during the summertime and so that was kind of like our family vacation this year and then you know, there's like little three-day weekends here and there. And um, so, no, I don't feel like I burnt it all on hunting. Smart man, smart man. Y'all better listen to that. And how would you, what an unsolicited advice would you have for our friends listening that maybe are married? Maybe they do have a blue-collar job or whatever. They have a ceiling on how much time they can take off from work slash a ceiling on how much time they can leave without their spouse leaving them permanently. Like how do you raise the ceiling with your wife? What are some best practices so that they're cool with you basically pursuing elk hunting as much as you can in September? You know, I don't know if I really have tons of words of wisdom for that. Um, It's something that I'm probably honestly not the best at. Um, but I just try to communicate with her and, and talk with her while I'm out hunting and see what's going on. Also, this is the first time I've ever taken that much time off. So, um, it, you know, the first year I went hunting, I took like a week and a half off and then it was two weeks. Last year was three weeks. This year was four weeks. Um, but I spend a lot of time with my family where you talked about being big in the gym and stuff. My wife's really into CrossFit too. And so we tend to uh, spend time basically at the gym every evening together, go home, eat dinner together. We're not really huge on like traveling all that much or, um, but we, you know, hang out with our small circle of friends and it's kind of how we spend time together. So that's great, man. Uh, well, we'll have to get into the fitness stuff for sure. Cause I know you have a story to tell there. Um, 
repercussions coming home from a four-week elk bender. How did it go, honestly? And I'll start first. I'll share. Like, uh, I got, like, divorce papers this year. Not really. I'm joking. But, like, man, my wife my wife had a rough deal. Like, I, I went to Nevada for a week, came home for 10 days. Then I went to Idaho for antelope. And then right when I was done with my antelope hunt, instead of coming home, I went right into elk hunting. Came home for a couple days after I killed an antelope, like maybe three days. And then I was gone until September 26th or 7th. Um, so from the start of August till the end of September, there's only a handful of days that I was home. And during that time, we're talking, you know, every family has kids that, you know, back to school, back to a routine. My wife is a nurse. Um, she also had a knee surgery and we, our dog freaking died while I was gone and a bunch of other stuff, like just life. And she was pretty much alone. So when I came home, like I definitely was on eggshells quite a bit the first couple of days. Like it, it's hard for the family to adjust to you getting back home. And then they're also, for me, I, I'm probably going to go hunting again. So it's like, how long are we going to have you home for? And then like, it's difficult waters to navigate. And the reason why I talk about it so much is because family is more important to me than hunting. And if I was ever at a point where I was like uh, threshold my, you know, that was this year. Like I totally kind of bumped up against the threshold of too much of a good thing. So how was it for you? Was there any repercussions if you want to talk about it? Um, You know, there wasn't anything major that popped up for my wife or my daughter while I was gone. Uh, one thing too, I, um, my 21 year old brother lives with me. And so kind of our family unit all supports each other. And so one thing that's nice is that he helps out with my daughter, um, and can help out with the dogs. I also have, uh, two little dogs that are a pretty big part of our life. So it is so much for her to, you know, take care of, uh, my daughter and the dogs and the house and all that. But, um, I know when I got home, I was talking to a few things she dealt with, like, uh, just small things that she, you know, was running into, like locking the keys in her car while at the gym and yep. not being able to find the spare keys and freaking out. And, uh, I guess, uh, like the dog chewed into like a tub of, uh, like cortisone or some cream and got it like all over them. And, um, so just little stressful things like that, that, you know, she just had to vent to me when I got home and, um, try to do my best and, you know, get home, do a whole bunch of yard work that didn't get done for, four weeks and try to catch up on some of the stuff that is my responsibilities around the house was really the main thing I focused on. But the biggest support for her too, along with my brother is, is the, the community and the fellowship of the gym that we go to. Mm -hmm. um, she doesn't ever feel like she's by herself because we are such a tight community at our gym that, you know, every evening she's with them every weekend, she's hanging out with them, having get togethers, dinners, things like that. So what is the name of the gym or the box that you guys go to? So it's called House of Pain or CrossFit Hop. Um, just a little teeny gym here in Albany. So That's awesome. And how did you get to the point where you sipped the Kool-Aid for CrossFit and you're like, I'm all in? <laughs> so it's kind of funny. My, my wife actually uh, started doing CrossFit when we first moved to Oregon because she was looking to do something. She used to do like uh, classes at the Y in Spokane before we moved. And um, so she started doing that and I used to talk crap about it and say, 
oh man you crossfit people are crazy like i'm just gonna go to the gym and i i was never really fit um growing up i was never super athletic i played sports but i just wasn't naturally like good at exercising i was never good at running and um i had a buddy i was going to the gym with and it was just real hit or miss because he'd end up like not wanting to wake up and so we wouldn't go or i wouldn't want to wake up and it's just really hard to rely on someone else and so one day i was like hey i'll go try it out and i was horrible at crossfit the first time i tried it um i remember the workout jump roping in and i couldn't even jump rope at all like not even single unders and she and the coach were like dying laughing at me and i was so frustrated that i couldn't do something well that i just stuck with it and um, that box that we went to had a really awesome coach named uh, Pam and her husband Jake and they ended up moving down to like Orange County a few years after that um, but I worked out there for a few years and then um, ended up switching to a different gym and the coach of that gym ended up starting this house of pain gym and it's been about five years now and uh, so that's kind of how it started um, and it really the fact that I wasn't good at it pushed me to do it more but what kept me going was the fellowship of it and the accountability you get when other people are like hey where were you yesterday you know what are you doing get in here you know so that's that's really what has made me continue to do it all these years so wow yeah so that community of like-minded peers like i talk about all the time and then people just work out harder when they're with people most people are just inherently able to push harder when other people are sharing and suffering i don't know the science behind it or the psychology, but that's cool. You've struggled with weight gain, weight loss, whatever you want to call it, as Aaron Snyder would say, being a fat kid. But uh, let's talk, let's dive into it, man. Like, what's your heaviest? Where are you at now? Are you happy where you're at? Is it sustainable? What do you have? Like, what are you going to be working on in this off season? Things like that. I So I'm 5'6", like maybe close to 5'7". So I'm not very tall. Um, right now I'm sitting right about 230". And I would love to shave like 50 pounds off. Um, earlier this year in January, I was sitting probably about close to 270 or so. And I have this horrible habit of just like yo-yoing my weight. Um, I could drop 50 pounds in a few months. And, and I basically over the last five years, I keep doing this yo-yo thing where I'm bouncing between like 210 to 250. But earlier this year, I got up to 270, and that's the heaviest I'd ever been. I kind of fell away from the gym a little bit, hadn't been going for about four weeks or so, and just eating super unhealthy, and kind of just got out of control. And, and then I get to this point where I'm like, man, I have a lot of really expensive camo, and if I don't drop this weight, I can't wear it. So <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's really terrible, but that's usually it's a cycle, and I'm really hoping to come out of this hunting season and buckle down and continue to eat healthy because I know how to drop the pounds um, and I know how to do it the right way. I know how to do it the wrong way. I've done it that, that way a few times too, but I just really need to stick with it. And it's something that it's really hard for me. Yeah. Yeah. So consistency is literally the name of the game. You've said it, but you've alluded to like jumping back on the bandwagon when you undoubtedly will fall off because you are human. Uh, what are for you the fastest ways to put weight back on? Like, give us those r habits, those patterns, 
Uh, and if you can tie in the emotions that you're feeling, not to be like all Dr. Phil here, because I ain't Dr. Phil. Uh, but you know what I mean? Like, what what is what's that process look like to surefire pack weight back on and go and start the yo-yo the wrong way? For me, um, and uh, just to give you a little bit of background, I mean, I used to be like an alcoholic drug addict. I've been sober for eight years now. Okay. Uh, and so a lot of it, I kind of relate back to that and what ends up happening is like i could change my addiction to alcohol into food and so i have these just really big swings where i'll just eat really really crappy um and then once i get going good then i don't even crave the bad food so for me it's like i just have to be super strict and not like if i see something that's like candy or uh, unhealthy foods, I just have to not do it. And then if I do make a mistake, I need to get it in my brain that it was okay to make that mistake and not have this attitude of, oh, okay, well, I already messed up. Mine will just keep eating crappy. Cause that's where I lose it is when I give up because I feel like I failed. I, it's this happy balance where I need to hold myself accountable, but also not beat myself up. If that makes sense. No, it's, it makes sense. And it seems like momentum will take you whichever direction uh, you allow it to, whether it be good or bad. Um, when you say you eat unhealthy, like keeping it as real as possible, is food a comfort for you? And if it is, what specific foods bring about that comfort? And how long does it take for you to just feel absolutely even worse about yourself, which is something people will relate to? For me, like uh like breads and sweets stuff like that is is the hardest for me um that's where i can really lose it and and i think that um like i talk about these swings that i go through a lot of times like i might go into sort of a little bit of like depression stuff right and you're just trying to fill that void with food instead of more positive things okay and support systems so having a spouse that does share an interest or, you know, does like going to the gym, does like that lifestyle. If they're, if you're in a situation where you have a spouse that's not on the same page, uh, it can almost breed sabotage in your own, like, you know, you're like literally open up the fridge and like you see seven or eight different things that you know are not going to get you closer to your goal, but they're stocked in abundance in your fridge or in your cabinets or, Oh, like this food's for the kids and you end up eating that food. Like that's tough. So what is it like with your, you and your wife and like that relationship? Are you guys on the same team? Uh, is there some sabotage? What's that look like? Um, in my opinion, we're, we can be on the same team at sometimes, but a lot of times any like healthy changes for the household are, kind of spearheaded by me and if I'm not pushing really really hard for us to be eating healthy she would prefer to not be eating healthy and even though we are both like technically fit people who work out a lot we both struggle with weight we both grew up as you know like Aaron Schneider would say the the fat kid right so um so really like if I don't spearhead it and take control of it she's never going to be the one to want to eat healthy. Um, but she'll, she'll always be willing to do it with me. Perfect. But 
but she's not going to be the one to make that choice. Like I'm going to have to push us to do that. And let's talk about food prep, meal prep. Uh, you work, you know, a blue collar job. Does your wife work? Yep. Okay. Uh, if you rely on convenience or if you don't plan and prepare your food ahead and you're one of those people that struggles with weight loss, weight gain, uh, you will never really get a full grasp on it because convenience also breeds about poor decisions. The, the more convenient it is to eat, usually the less, the less is going to benefit you in the long term. My wife and I for years would do food prep on Sundays, uh, especially in our like CrossFit competition years where we took that stuff as serious as a heart attack. Currently, we don't food prep, but we do make dinners that are probably f- like literally enough to feed us for three meals. And then we're packaging and setting up those meals for the next coming lunches or whatever. I also work from home, which is something new to me. So I'm not, I can eat anytime I want. And I think some people would fall under the category of, oh man, I got food at my fingertips. I'm just going to eat all day. It's not good to work from home. Whereas someone like me, if I'm working at home, I have real structured food encounter times and I eat damn near the same thing every day uh, at the same times based on how I'm feeling. And if it's a recovery day or a training day, uh, do you guys, do you guys meal prep? And if you do crack open the code, like what's the secret sauce? So when I am cutting or eating healthy, I am meal prepping. Um, I'm kind of like you where I can eat the same, not the same thing every day, but the same few things. Like my, my go-to things that I meal prep are chicken thighs and I'll pretty much eat like whatever vegetables. My favorite vegetables are zucchini, broccoli, um, but I'm pretty open. I could just eat like raw carrots all the time with chicken thighs for lunch Mm -hmm. um, pretty much every day. And I'd be fine with that. Um, But I like to make, uh, like I have this recipe for uh, barbecued Korean chicken thighs and I just basically don't put the sugar in the recipe. And then it tastes the same to me and I'll cook that and I make uh, some like cilantro, lime, uh, chicken thighs and I could eat those every day. Um, So that's a huge thing that I eat when I meal prep my lunches. But it's one of those things where, like you're saying, the convenience, I totally agree with you. And if I don't meal prep, I don't have that food, I'll go to work and go, oh, you know what, I'm going to stop and go grab like a rotisserie chicken and some carrots for lunch. Um, that's a quick, easy lunch. There's a Costco like two minutes from my work. So I can always go grab that if I want to. But what ends up happening is I get busy at work. All of a sudden it's 2 p.m. I'm like, oh, dang, I'm going to go to the gym in three hours. I have to get some food in me. Like, you know, that cheeseburger from McDonald's sure seems like that'll just be quick and easy. Right. Okay. You said something that I'm going to key in on. Uh, I want to give a warning. So being a strength and conditioning coach, I've been a personal trainer, a CrossFit coach, and I do these elk shape camps where I try to be all those things and then some. I have worked with a lot of athletes over the years on everything from performance to weight loss to muscle gain. And why I'm giving you a big long like caveat here is like I don't have a lot of tolerance and I'm very intense. And so I'm just basically apologizing to you up front, Cameron. Like like I sniff out the bullshit and I get right after it. And that's just because I've just done this so long and heard it. You said when you're in a cut phase or eating healthy. So I'm going to stop you right there. Cameron, you're not a bodybuilder. You don't have a cut phase or when I'm cutting or eating clean. 
you either have a lifestyle where you eat clean 80 to 90% of the time, and every once in a while you'll throw in a nice little treat, maybe it's with the family, or maybe it's a, it's not a reward. It's just a, it's a circumstance where you have a green light to be human, and you're at a kid's birthday and you want to have a piece of cake, have a piece of cake. But it's not like, well, I'm not in my cut phase, I can have a bowl of ice cream after dinner every night or what have you. So that language of cutting is not one that I like or subscribe to. What I would suggest is to reevaluate your mindset as to, yes, I want to weigh less than 210. Okay, cool. How slow and steady can I get down to my ideal weight? That is the formula. The, the longer it takes and the slower it takes, the better. Conversely, the faster you get results, the faster you shed the pounds. Like, I don't know what you weigh. Well, I'll just ask you, what did you weigh before your four-week elk bender? Like, what was the scale? Uh, like two, I, I didn't, I stayed the same all of elk season. I was probably like 228 or so. Oh, okay. You're totally going to squash my point. I'll use myself as example. I started hunting season pretty jacked, pretty like 165, 170, very filled out. Uh, body fat percent, I don't know, probably 10 or 11%. But when I came home at the very end of September, I weighed 145. And I was probably like stupid body fat percent of like five, 6%. That's a lot. That's a significant loss of muscle and weight in a short amount of time. If I wanted for some unknown reason to be like, okay, I really like how I look at 145 at 5% body fat. I'm going to stay here. It would be not a fun lifestyle, first and foremost, for me to stay at 145 at 5%. It would not be fun. I wouldn't feel my best. I wouldn't perform my best. If I wanted to get back up to 165, you know, like where I started the season out, Give me just a couple of weeks and I'll get right back there. If you flip the same, it's the same idea, Cameron. It's like if you lose weight really fast, you can gain it back really fast. And so sustainability and the key word for me is trajectory. Like I want you to have a trajectory that is sustainable where the results follow you slowly, consistently. And if you hit a plateau, you're not, that, you're not there very long until you get down to a body fat percentage and scale weight where your performance at CrossFit doesn't go down. In fact, it only goes up. Your relative strength goes up, your lifts go up, your conditioning's improved. Uh, and if you have a piece of cake at a kid's birthday that you don't balloon up the next week or fill, you know what I mean? So give us kind of a perspective like, okay, now that Dan's kind of getting in my face a little bit, like, how are you going to change your mindset? How are you going to flip that trajectory so it's a little bit more realistic and sustainable? Um, I mean, I really appreciate you, like, you know, giving it to me real. And, um, you know, when I decided to, to do this with you, I also, like, kind of made the commitment that I was going to be honest on here, too, and, like, you know, be vulnerable and, and be truthful, right? I listen to a lot of these podcasts, and people sugarcoat everything, and, and they don't really say it how it is, right? Um but for me, a lot of times mentally, it's really hard for me to continue to do something if I'm not seeing the results. And I think that's why I've always tried to be like super strict when I'm eating healthy. But I don't think like when I talk about like 
when I say the word cutting weight, I don't feel like that's an unsustainable way of eating. Like I'm eating enough food, the right food when I do that, that if I could continue that and just make that into a lifestyle, I feel that it would be sustainable. The problem is, is I just swing so far the opposite direction and, and then quit doing it. So I, I don't know how to kind of move forward and, and make small changes. Um, and, and I understand what you're saying 100% that like small sustainable changes are better in the long run than these like huge swings. And I've tried for years and I just haven't been able to continue. So I, I, you know, moving forward, I'm the, the main thing I'm trying to do is tell myself that if I make a mistake and I have that piece of cake at a birthday party that I'm not failing and that I just need to get right back into it. Cause that's where I'm losing it is that I have that piece of cake and I say, you know what, I'm a failure. I suck. I can't do this. Why even try anymore? Does that make sense? No, it does. And I think it all comes down to your mindset and the kind of goals that you set for yourself. So rather than maybe just focusing on what a scale tells you to decide if you're fit or if you're healthy or if you're going to kill more elk, it's not a scale. And what I would maybe do is kind of flip the script and be like, all right, I know that I struggle with continuity. I understand that. Okay. So my goals are I want to get in 300 workouts in 2022. Okay, that's a lot of consistency. What does that average out to on the weekly? Is there weeks where maybe I can't make it to the gym? Okay, that's fine. I'll make up for it in other weeks. But at the end of the year, you had 300 training bouts. Okay, now that's that's a good goal. You know, the chips will fall where they at. But if you averaged 300 workouts in 365 days, that's legit. If you average, okay, I want to drink a gallon of water a day as my average. Maybe some days you only have eight glasses or six glasses of water or you don't remember to fill your Nalgene up, but the next day you go to 110 ounces or 135 ounces, whatever it is, but drinking more water. Um, man, I don't want to eat out or eat any fast food for the entire month of January. Okay, cool. At the end of January, you'd be like, okay, did I have a lot of food cravings? No, I didn't. Did I save money? Yes, I did. Uh, how do I feel about myself? Well, I feel pretty good. How's my performance? How's my recovery? How do my pants fit? You know, whatever the goals are, wherever your, whatever the, the biggest obstacles are, if you could set up more like year-round goals versus just like, I got to get to 210 by this day or, you know, I just don't. I just don't like those really short-term, short-sighted goals. I like the longer ones, the ones where, yeah, there's going to be like little dips, little peaks, little valleys, but it's like your like your retirement portfolio. Like you're looking at the long-term and you're looking at its actual trajectory versus just, oh, no, it dropped or, oh, no, it went up, you know. So maybe you and your wife could brainstorm some goals for 2022 that involve more like, year-long goals uh, for nutrition and you and I both know you can't out train a shit diet so we got to figure out a way to to jump you back on bandwagons because you are going to fall off at some point here or there uh, and you just can't let that momentum take over you know what I mean yeah for sure okay well I'll, you'll have to email me because I am an action guy after this podcast whenever it's good for you and your wife 
go on a date and talk about 2022 and try to like brainstorm a laundry list of like bigger goals than just weight goals and kind of think about all the little angles and all the components of the equation that could go into you being your best and and being the most consistent you've ever been in 2022 specifically in the kitchen because it sounds like when it comes to getting to the gym you guys you guys have a strong community you both do it together it's a support system you feel better about yourself that's the easy part it's going to be the nutrition which is not the easy part um moving on to your story as a newer hunter um, when did you get into hunting and how did you get into bow hunting specifically? So, um, it's kind of a funny story, I feel like, but there's an archery shoot in Oregon, um, up at Hoodoo mountain that usually is every year, uh, COVID's kind of messed that up a little bit, but in 2016, my, my, um, coworker's name's, uh, David Eisenberger. He's actually used to be my boss when I worked for point in Spokane. Um, but now we're coworkers because I, when I moved to Oregon, I switched from the sales team of our company into the service side and uh, he's a, the sales manager. So, but anyways, he, he's coming down here to do this archery shoot at Hoodoo and I'd never shot a bow before and I call him up and um, he's like, yeah, I'm gonna come down and do this archery shoot. And I'm like, well, I want to do it with you. I've never shot a bow before. I was like, bring a bow down for me. And he's like, it doesn't work that way. I can't just like bring a bow down. And I know nothing about archery at this point. And I'm like, Dave, like, just, you have like a hundred bows, like bring a bow down. I just want to learn how to shoot it. He's like, it doesn't work that way. And I'm like, there has to be some way that I can go do this with you. And he's like, okay, like I'll, I'll figure something out. So he brings down like one of his kids, Hoyt Ignites with a single pin slider. We, the night before the shoot, we went to a little archery range and sighted in the slider and adjusted the draw length um, to me and set the poundage and everything and then i went and shot a 3d shoot for my first time ever shooting a bow and from the next day i went and bought a matthews chillar up at pacific crest archery in salem so um that's how it started that's cool uh yeah northwest mountain challenge tyler crockett man he's been taking it on the chin with covid and i think they pulled off their montana shoot this year i think they pulled off tamarack but i know for sure they didn't pull off hoodoo because that's uh, what you live in Oregon. Yep. And I live in Washington and check out our governors, Google them. And there you go. Uh, yeah. 3d tournaments, man, are like, so in the podcasting world, I believe they call this a mid roll advertisement. Anyways, I'm interrupting the podcast to hopefully have your attention to let you know these companies support Oak Shape and make this thing possible. Shout out to Buck Knives and Post Falls, Idaho, Spy Point USA. These trail cameras are affordable and they have the blue collar people in mind. They have both cellular and non-cellular trail cameras, great price points, and they work and they will enhance your game. Numa Outdoors with their 2021 lineup live. Check them out at numaoutdoors.com discount code elk shape 20 take 20 percent off matthews archery out of sparta wisconsin my favorite bow in hand best shooting most dependable awesome technology solid engineering go shoot the new bow at your local dealer black rifle coffee company out of salt lake city utah veteran owned they give a lot back to veterans they're pro 2a 
They're pro hunting and they make damn good coffee. Discount code Elkshape, 15% off. Kafaro International. I rock the hoodlum. I rock the 22 mag. Check it out at kafarointernational.net. Crispy USA. I rock the Colorados, the Nevadas. See for yourself. No break-in period. Made in Italy. World-class craftsmanship. Next time you're doing some boot shopping, be sure to check out Crispy USA. Vortex Optics. Vortex Nation. Vortex Wear. Discount code is Elkshape. 20% off any apparel. Check out their UHDs, their Razor 4000, their spotters, and they have a lot of things when it comes to rifles that I don't know much about. Vortex Optics, veteran known out of Wisconsin. Love this company, longest standing partnership. Be sure to support Vortex with their VIP warranty, transferable, lifetime. You break it, they fix it. Wilderness Athlete, I discovered them in 2006. One of the best supplement companies out there not a marketing company use the discount code elkshape30 on your first purchase and save 30 percent last but not least if you're buying any gear go to blackovis.com be sure to enter elkshape at checkout and get 10 percent off your purchase back to the podcast a thing of the past now these like 3d like almost like recreational shoots are really blowing up with tack and northwest mountain challenge and um, mountain fest the reason why i like them is because they're not they're for fun and stuff but for me it's time to get a backpack on put some weight in it get your boots on and go shoot some mountain angled shots with some different lighting and some different winds and take some really challenging shots and and expose yourself how are you doing and it's like it's a cool little checkpoint or evaluation on how your preparation is how your equipment is and your setup I absolutely find them invaluable, and I don't know which tack or tacks I'm going to go to next year, but I will go to at least one for sure. Um, when did you kind of grab the bow and experience elk hunting to the fullest? Was it just a couple years ago when you took a week and a half? Was that your first elk hunt? So um, so my buddy Dave, the one that got me the bow, is a avid elk hunter. He's now my, he's my elk hunting partner now, um, and... That first year that I bought the bow, uh, my first experience like hunting something is I shot a little fork blacktail on like the second day of archery season. So I got that bow in like June and shot my first deer in, in August. Um, and then later that season, I had an elk tag, even though I knew nothing about elk hunting. Like I'd been listening to some podcasts, like trying to read info on it, uh, calling Dave twice a day, asking him questions about it. He's like, hey, if you call me again, ask me about elk hunting, I'm not going to answer the phone anymore. Like leave me alone. And I was intrigued. Um, I don't, I don't even really think I knew like elk existed before this. Like I just, I grew up in, in like Spokane in the city. I just never really got out in the woods that much. And, um, he can't, I, he finally came out towards the end of the season for a work trip. He's like, Hey, I got a couple of days. Um, I had read a little bit about e-scouting and I found this place that was maybe a half hour outside of where I lived in Corvallis in dropped a pin and we drove up hopefully my dog's not snoring too loud in the background i don't know if you're picking i could hear that that's awesome <laughs> sorry um so we we drop a i drop a pin and we start heading up the the woods about a half hour outside of corvallis and we parked the truck we slammed the doors and i asked dave i go does this look like a place where elk might be like from learning about e-scouting i think this might be a good place and he looks down and there's fresh elk track and fresh elk droppings and he goes, ah, well, I would say so. Like, look at this. And he rips out a bugle and instantly a Roosevelt just 
screams back at us from like 100 yards away after slamming the tailgate and the doors. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this is easy. Like, this is awesome, right? And the bull was in like maybe 15-year-old reprod. Like, just like, I don't even know how you could get through it. It's so thick. And it, the bull for like about a half hour was like screaming, growling, chuckling at us and just kind of walking back and forth trying to get our wind in this repod. Never actually saw him, but at points he was about 40 yards away. And the whole time this is happening, Dave is trying to tell me and my buddy Chris like what to do if the bull steps out. We have no idea what's going on. And then finally the bull runs off and we get back in the truck and drive back down. And, you know, just remind you, like we're not really necessarily hunting. We're more just kind of like checking the area out. We, we drive up a, a different road around basically a clear cut and that's where the bull had been with his cows and a spike bull runs in front of the truck 10 yards in front of us and then that bull that was bugle house was a pretty nice six by six rosy and he took his herd of 12 cows or so and jumped up the clear gut into some timber so that was my first experience of ever trying to search for an elk um, wow and yeah so that year i kind of uh tried to elk hunt wasn't really good at calling was trying to bugle elk from my truck thinking that I could do that since I just saw that happen once before and um and really was I was not in good shape at that point at all too so we didn't really hike very much and my mental fortitude to also at that time to like hike in nasty places wasn't good so it I look back on that first year and, and me and my buddy Chris actually laugh at it because we're like that wasn't even hunting like what did we think we were doing um but the next year after that um ended up uh kind of doing the same thing while elk hunting um, and uh, killed another deer that year and hiked a little bit more than before, but still not really putting in the work. And it wasn't until the year after that, that I really got more serious. And that's when I had taken like the week and a half off. Um, and uh, that year had a shot opportunity on a five by five bull, didn't work out. Um, and then Hopefully I'm getting my dates right here, but the year after that was 2019 and um, I ended up killing my first elk, which was a cow elk in Oregon. And then I killed my first bull, which was a bull elk in Idaho. So I got two elk that year. Um, and then I killed a bull in 2020 in Idaho and I killed a bull there this year. So the last three years I've gotten four elk and I am actually putting the work in now. And um, I would say that this year has been my toughest year ever hunting we kind of felt like since we took four weeks off work that we got punished uh, by that murphy's law that you like to talk about so mm -hmm. you know murphy's law is a thing but that whole evolution of slamming the door here in your first bugle i mean that'll change your life in itself um was it last year that you sent me a picture of i think it was a selfie or something with you and a couple buddies with a bull down in idaho yep so that was my bull um, okay my buddy Dave called it into about 10 yards for me um, on a, you know, those real fun north slopes with like alders and vine maples and stuff in North Idaho. Uh, that's all the slopes that I found. But yeah, man. Yeah. Quite familiar. <laughs> yeah. So that was one of those. And uh, it's uh, my favorite place in the world and my least favorite place in the world at the same time. So. <laughs> oh, dude, you're talking to the right guy. I got a, I got a damn cabin in North Idaho that I could hunt out of. Uh, and I don't even because I love it, but I hate it. It's really, it's gotten really popular over there for 
bunch of Oregon guys coming over. Just joking. But for real, like, I, I have a lot of love for North Idaho, but I've been venturing further and further away because North Idaho is kind of an elk calling game. Well, in fact, it is exclusively a steel hunt or an elk calling vocalization game. I've played that game a lot, and I like the more open country elk, to be honest. I like I like watching elk, seeing elk, studying elk every day. Uh, I, I don't mind bugles, obviously, but I'm just saying, all in all, I've kind of, I wouldn't call it graduated, but just migrated away from North Idaho. But I have love for it. I have respect for it. I think it's one of the hardest places in the world to kill an elk. And I feel like if you can kill one there, it's really good training grounds for other terrain and topography features, uh, other regional areas. It's good training ground. So to get a bull in North Idaho, man, I'll tip my hat to you. Uh, the smile, I got this picture pulled up now. Okay, yeah, that's a good-looking bull, dude. So 10-yard shot, is that your only elk you've ever killed with a bow? No, so I've killed uh, four elk with a bow. And four seasons, right? Uh, three seasons. So I killed okay. a cow and a bull, uh, Oregon cow, Idaho bull in 2019. Right. And then Idaho bull 2020, um, and then 2021 Idaho bull. Okay, so you've experienced unprecedented success. Give us the bullet, like the bullet points to what's attributed to you to be able to do this three years in a row. And I want to point out that their first year you had the least amount of time in the field and killed two elk so you can't just say oh well he's got all this time off that's not that's not all of it so you made arrangements in your lifestyle to be able to do this uh take us through all the things and that have led to your like, seriously and very impressive resume for three years of bow hunting elk so i guess the first thing that i would attribute the success to is my persistence Mm -hmm. uh, I really like to be successful at things that I do. And um, the first elk that I ever killed was that, that cow elk. And I had a tree stand set up at this place. And I had been hunting it on like the weekends and the evenings. And I was actually heading to Idaho um, in like two days. And I didn't really want to go out hunting. It was after work on like a Friday. And I was like, you know what, like, I'm just going to go like, I just need to, I just need to do it. And so every day after work, I'd been going out there and having no success, no success, nothing. Um, and then I went out, sat in my tree stand for a little bit. It was on like a little like wallow area with like skunk cabbage. Um, and I was sitting in the tree stand and, uh, heard some elk and didn't seem like they were going to be coming towards me. And I threw out a cow call and, uh, heard a bugle back. And I could tell that they were kind of feeding up this hill to the side of my tree stand. And so I ended up climbing out of the tree stand and cow calling one more time. They bugled just to get a location on them. And then I snuck in and was watching them for about 15 minutes before I shot a cow um, that finally turned broadside. So that that particular success, I you know, attribute to keeping at it because I was going to not go out there that day. Um, and really like my biggest part of my success in idaho is my buddy dave who's taught me how to hunt and who is calling for me over there um those bulls that uh, i killed in idaho except for the one that i killed this year i was by myself we actually dropped into separate sides of the canyon um, but other than that both the bulls i killed in idaho he called in for me and he's taught me how to call he's taught me how to hunt um 
you know, I've also brought new perspective to him though, and that's helped improve him also. Um, having a, having a fresh opinion on something, someone that that doesn't know what they're doing, uh, looks at it a little bit different. So, absolutely, dude, that's that's really cool to hear. Like, that's like me hunting with somebody pretty new, and 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 them like suggesting things that I have never even thought of. Like, they just look at it through a different lens, and the fact that you guys are in a position to to team up together to be a trustworthy team like what would you say like maybe a handful of things that you guys do as a team that other people should mimic if they're you know either looking for a hunting partner or they're maybe taking a second look or evaluating their current hunting team what are some what are some clues left behind to your guys's awesome synergy the most important thing to me is this positivity there's been a couple people that hunted with us on and off that uh, could get kind of negative and there's just no room for that at all like hunting is so tough mentally for me it to Ooh. have something where it feels like you're failing day after day after day and then all of a sudden within 30 seconds it all comes together and everything changes and so that for me has been the most important thing is that that both of us are willing to stay positive especially if the other person's maybe feeling a little bit more down, um, you know, uh, gosh, I, I can't remember what podcast I was listening to that uh, someone was talking about, I think it was uh, Kafaru Cash or something. They were talking about how when you're tracking someone else's bull, you're so much more positive than when you're tracking your own bull. And like that kind of energy that you're making sure to, to keep each other positive is the most important thing to me. And I, and I could really relate to that when, and they're talking about that because I, I remember uh, tracking one of my bolts one time and Dave's like, it's going to be right around the corner. And I'm like, it was a bad shot. We're never going to find it. Like, I suck, you know, and not that I quit looking for it. And, and we did find it. eventually. No doubt. No doubt. I think that's invaluable. I know you're on your lunch break at work. I know we got to wrap things up. I just want to recap, like, thank you for being authentic, down to earth. I would actually expect nothing less when I get a chance to blue like to podcast with just regular blue collar dudes that are not in the hunting industry. These are actually my preferred podcasts. And I actually get a lot of great solid feedback from you guys as listeners. You're like, man, that's refreshing to hear normal people. And it is, it really, it is cool. So I guess this is, this is my way of saying thank you and also leveraging the podcast. Let's finish with this cam. Um, go ahead from the hip advertise your goals for 2022 the you know with the whole separation is in the preparation vibe that i spit out give it to us straight it'll be here for you to listen when you're feeling shitty or you're not having a good day or week you're going to pump this podcast on and fast forward to the end and listen to what you proclamated to the world go ahead buddy so my plans for this year are to shoot my bow more. Uh, I want to shoot my bow at least a few times a week. Um, so that's a number one thing I want to work on. I, I dropped the ball on that last year, didn't shoot it enough. I want to stick with my diet and try to focus on just being consistent like we spoke about. And I also want to practice my calling a little bit more. Um, I've had some success, but I know I can get better. So. I think sometimes less is more. And so those are the things that I really want to focus on this year uh, to get ready for elk season. 
That's awesome, man. Are you uh are you on the socials? You got any? Hey guys, this is my social media account for this platform that that people could follow you. Um, not really. I'm not on Instagram or anything. I I mean I have a Facebook account, but I not on it tons. Um, maybe that's something I should do one of these days. But uh, yeah, I'm not on any social media really, um, other than Facebook. So that's cool. Well, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your realness. And I'm really, really impressed at your success on public land the last three years. And my hope is that you continue it and that you conquer your fitness goals, your family goals, your career goals, and your hunting goals. Guys, separation is in the preparation. We'll catch you on the next one. All right, guys. Hope you enjoyed that podcast. I just want to say thank you to Cameron for coming on, for being transparent and being relatable and just being awesome, man. I really enjoyed your time. And uh, I wish you nothing but success in 2022. I hope you make those long-term goals and create a trajectory for yourself that is sustainable. And I think a lot of us are inspired by people like you that are willing to push yourself out there and share some of the struggles, but also just share in some of the successes. Uh, Life is so precious. It's such a gift, especially elk hunting. We're lucky to call ourselves elk hunters, and I'm lucky to call myself a guy who gets to podcast and do YouTube and make content for a living. Super ridiculous. I appreciate your guys' support. I really do. And I want to give a shout out at the end of this podcast to Baku e-bikes. We got the Chub Challenge coming up in December. If you don't know what that is, be on the lookout. And um, I do it. I did it last year on Instagram and do it again this year. We give away a bunch of really cool prizes to keep you motivated in December when it's arguably one of the hardest months to be motivated with the lack of daylight, the holidays coming, the stress, uh, just a lot of things about December suck. And so it's like my way of like teaming up with my partners to make December great again, if that's a thing. So Baku is partnered with me. We're gonna give away my e-bike one of those weeks for the December Chub Challenge. But before that, if you're looking, if you're in the market for an e-bike, And here's the truth. I use my e-bike a lot for whitetail hunting and black bear hunting out west because I'm literally able to creep on stealth mode on logging roads for bears and to sneak in and check trail cams and sneak into tree stands using the e-bike. They don't make any noise. They don't kick out any exhaust. Um, And then I keep mine around and ride it all the time with my kids. So I have a discount code. It's elk shape. It takes $300 off a Baku e-bike. I would consider doing that. It's a good investment. Get the mule and get to rocking. That's what I carry. I want to give you guys a couple of discount codes that I didn't mention in the mid-roll, and you guys can be on with your day. So the first one is Northwest Retention Systems. This dude is a blue-collar dude himself. He's in Washington State. He makes custom gun holsters for your chest. It's called the Scout. You can get the Elk Shape Edition one or get whatever color you want. Uh, No shipping and handling, 10% off when you use the code Elk Shape. Check out Northwest Retention Systems. The Elk Collective is my baby that is online digital elk hunting learning education uh, from a multitude of subject matter experts and it's all video driven and we fill that thing up with content every year a lot of the content comes from not only my elk shape camps but we travel around and interview bad a elk hunters and we put that exclusive content there I have a discount code, Elk Shape Podcast, all one word. Takes $25 off an annual membership. Check out the elkcollective.com today. Sheep feet, as in sheep feet for your feet. Uh, these inserts or insoles, if you will, are custom orthotics, basically. 
discount code is ElkShape. It takes 10% off. I literally think they're life-changing, and I think they'll extend the life of your boots as well. Check out Sheep Feet and enter the discount code ElkShape. Get 10% off. LED Lenser is a new one. That's the headlamp I've been using for the last year. It is so bright. I remember when Brandon McDonald came and bear hunted with me in the spring, and we were looking for his bear after he shot it, and he was like, holy smokes, what headlamp is that? And I was like, it's, uh, I don't know, it's LED lenser. These guys just, they sent me one, and it's awesome. Well, I called them and said, hey, can I get a discount code for the listeners? They said yes. The discount code's ElkShape. It takes 15% off. And last but not least, I already said it, but I'm going to say it again, blackovas.com. Because they carry so many SKUs, so many items, use the discount code ElkShape. It'll save 10% shipping's free. These guys are awesome. They carry everything under the sun, fast shipping, and I just I love this brand, and I want to help them, and I appreciate them helping me and my listeners with an awesome discount code. You guys got a lot of options when it comes to podcasts. Thanks for choosing ours. I appreciate you, and we'll catch you on the next one. You know, I've never done one of these before, so a little bit of a little bit of pressure there to. <laughs> I thought you did a great job, man. Honestly, you did great. That was cool. You're really honest and open and and very humble. You're a badass, man. Way to way to kill elk every year. Keep it going, man. Keep that streak alive. Do whatever it takes to keep that thing going. A uh, quick question for you, which I don't know, maybe I should have brought some on the podcast, but um how do you so when we hunt Idaho? we don't hunt the morning and the evenings and it's kind of quite the opposite of what you talk about is like trying to get the most out of a day but we've kind of found that the elk don't really move there they just feed sleep rut all in the same exact spot and so it's really hard to get in them it's all true everything you're saying is true so i mean is that is that something that you would do too or is there some other way you'd attack that um i think elk do talk more in the morning at least like on their own you know, I do think they move a little ways from feeding to bedding. Uh, in some areas, they hardly move at all. But uh, for the most part, I think elk do move a little bit. And I do think the bulls will typically pipe up a little bit like that first 30 minutes of daylight. So I don't like to miss that. I like to, especially if I haven't located elk to hunt that day or, or I'm, I'm, I do bounce around a lot when I hunt Idaho, like North Idaho. Like I rarely hunt the same elk every day. I kind of feel like my best odds is to be in on them. And then if I screw it up, which I usually do, I'll just put them on ice and come back, you know? Um, but to take the morning off, I don't know. That'd be, that'd be really, I probably wouldn't do that. Honestly, I would probably at least maybe try to get in tight because here's the thing about mornings is the wind's usually pretty damn consistent for the first 90 minutes of daylight. And if we can get on elk right away and catch them um, moving in transition, that's where I'm going to be able to sneak in even in North Idaho, believe it or not, and shoot the herd bull, um, to call a herd bull in or even a satellite bull. Yes. Like midday madness. I do think your odds go up with the cows being already bedded and bulls generally being pretty restless unless they rutted hard the night prior to where you can kind of get them to, play their like show their hand and and come out and call them in and i understand that so uh what are you guys doing running ridges through like from 11 a.m to 3 p.m just locating and getting in tight and running midday madness i mean basically like so where we hunt you can't go in from the bottom or i guess maybe you 
could, but it, man, it would be rough and it would add like a 15 mile quad ride onto it. But basically with the way we hunt is a North and a South slope. We hunt the same exact area, like the whole time. And, um, there's a trail on the top we can ride our quads to, and we'll basically try to locate them, um, at night. We'll try to locate them at night if we can. And it always seems like if they bugle at night, they're in the same exact place in the morning and the day. Like, it seems like they really don't move at all. Yeah. Um, or at least like sometimes they'll move, but it'll be like the same elevation, just like yeah. left to right on the hillside. Yeah. Um, and so we try to get them talking and then cut the distance and get in their bedroom and it's worked. This year was rough though. The elk didn't seem to be as vocal or as fired up. Um, the bull that I killed this year, I had called in for my buddy twice before. And then a third time we got him in, he started just running away from us. Every time we were, we'd get into him, he'd take his cows and, and book it. And not like, we wouldn't like blow him out, but he just moved 200 yards away. And when I finally killed him this year, we actually dropped in on separate sides of the canyon and we we're going to try to like kind of sandwich him in. And this time I just shut up. I did like one bugle, one cow call and waited an hour and he came in silent. Um, sent my buddy an in reach message like, Hey, got him. Um, my buddy hiked his way around the canyon and helped me pack him out. So, but it just, I just always wondered if there was some way, like, I just couldn't imagine how I could, I would be so scared that if I tried to get on them, that I would blow them out. If, if I, if the thermals were going down because they, they can be anywhere like left to right. And there's so many elk in there that it's, it's hard to say. So I just was always kind of wondering maybe what, cause I know you hunted North Idaho a lot and assume that just like you talk, you hunted from sun up to sundown. So. Well, yeah, I, I do. I've definitely like, I wouldn't hunt the elk you're hunting for four weeks straight. Like I'd get in on them a couple different times. Um, and if there was something really special there, I would maybe even try to figure out like the most high odds wallow and put a tree stand up or somewhere I could set up an ambush. I would try to wait in the wing. I think bulls are just getting smarter and smarter and more and more opposed to synthetic elk vocalizations. Uh, they're getting educated. There's more hunters in the field, in my opinion. So yeah, I would have to, I would probably, just my style would not be to hunt the same elk over and over and over. And I would probably try to side hill at those elk in the morning, come in from even, you know, get them located from the top, maybe two hours before daylight or an hour before daylight, and then maybe make a giant big circle. I do cover country very fast. I do utilize my fitness in a major, major way. Ask anyone who's ever actually elk hunted with me, you'll see like I, I cover ground. And so I would probably side hill at them and try to get in tight right as it was getting light, because I think if they're bugling on their own, this is great. I don't have to make a sound. I don't have to have any elk know about me and that I'm there and try to coyote the herd. But um, what you're doing is obviously working. What would be really cool, Cameron, is if you could find two, three, six, a dozen other spots like that, which is hard and it will take you many years to do. And that's my problem with Idaho is I've hunted the entire panhandle. And so no matter which unit in the panhandle you put me, I probably have at least a baker's dozen spots that I can go to. I know the elk will want to be there or should be there historically. And for me, my biggest challenge in hunting North Idaho is trying to figure out where to go the next day because I have so many available options. I'd love to see you kind of go down that path and start learning a few other 
honey holes because they're there and they're historical museums of Rutfest and uh, elk will likely revisit those areas from year to year. And then you're really getting like, think about your first day dropping in on those elk. They didn't, haven't been hunted yet. Maybe there's no other hunter pressure. That's your highest odds is to get in on an elk killed is that day. And then I do think they start to diminish over time. The elk start getting hip. They start getting quieter. They start, and when they get quieter in North Idaho, it gets really steep on trying to get one killed with a bow. You feel me? Oh yeah. No. And that's what we ran into this year. And we've, we've tried to find other areas that are near where we hunt and like within, let's say an hour or so. And we've checked out so many different places and everywhere we've gone is there's been signs of elk, but no elk. Right. And, and it's almost like this place that we hunt is just some like magical honey hole. And it's not like we hunt the exact same drainage. There's basically a ridge and the ridge is three miles long. And so there's all these separate little microchasms that hold elk on there. And so we'll, we'll drop in on one side, try to work an elk. If he's not, then maybe we get a shot on him. Then we'll go to a different spot in that kind of general area. And so we don't necessarily hunt the same exact, um, elk every single day like the when i killed the bull this year we had let that area or that particular spot sit for about two days um and my buddy rolled his quad on the opening day too and so that kind of uh, we didn't hunt really hard for about a week and a half in the beginning of the season because he couldn't barely walk so right um, that that was a little bit of a wrinkle in the plan this year but um but yeah no i mean i i think that it's probably possible to get side hill from them. It's just, I would be so nervous that there could potentially be elk below us there because there's just, there's so many elk just spread out through the area. Um, wow. There's not tons of access points, if that makes sense. And I think, you know, did you guys run into wolves up there quite a bit yet? Oh yeah. So the wolves are hit and miss, um, but there's tons of wolves up there right now tons of bears. I did kill a bear. Um, we're sitting tree stands, um, after he rolled his quad and I killed a, my first bear up there with a bow. Um, but there there's heavy wolves. There's actually some trappers up in our spot now. Yay. Uh, God bless you uh, trappers. Yeah, no. And we met up with them and kind of like gave them some advice too, because they were trapping in areas where there isn't as much wolf activity and it's a little scary giving these people advice on where to go because it's also where we elk, <laughs> but yeah, um, but yeah, so, but there's people trapping wolves up there, but, but yeah, well, at night the wolves will howl at you. You can howl through your bugle tube and they'll start getting closer and closer. It's a little eerie. So yeah, that sounds about right, man. Well, cool. Well, I'm going to go take my son. He's got a doctor's appointment. I appreciate your time. This will publish in a few weeks. I'll let you know when, and I appreciate your time, brother. Sweet. Thanks, man. Have a good day.